Welcome to this week's edition of San Diego Sessions. We're in studio today with pianist and drummer Bob Weller. Listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast, featuring local artists, new releases, and more. Here are your hosts, Ian Tordella and Ed Kornhauser. Welcome to San Diego Sessions. As my uh, esteemed colleague over here, Mr. Dr. Sir Esquire, Lord Ian Tordella, mentioned earlier, we're here with a, a pianist, drummer, a composer, and uh, also piano technician, Bob Weller. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So before we get started, I have our, our usual top of the show. It's a, it's a segment we like to call This Versus That. Or sometimes we call it inane banter. There's a petition going to rename this segment inane banter. I, I started that petition. So I've got some, I know you guys have been waiting for this all week. I have some pressing questions, some issues. Press and some, ish away. Uh-oh. Several grievances to address with Ed here. Yeah. And if you feel the, if the spirit moves you, Bob, jump right in. Okay. Okay. So first up, uh, this is a piano question. So uh, pianist, mall. Waldron, known for working as a sideman with uh, Mingus and Jackie McLean, among others, Maul Waldron, or pianist and well-known jazz composer Cedar Walton. That is more slant rhyming from you. Just, <laughs> I'm just running out of ideas. No. Waldron or Walton? Uh, I'm gonna go. I mean, I love Maul Waldron's playing, um, but I really, really like Cedar Walton's playing. I've actually, I've got, I love his playing, and I love his compositions. Um, I love a lot of his compositions. So, um, in terms of body work, in terms of my personal preferences, I'm going to go with Cedar. All right, Cedar Walton. Okay, we're we're really going off the rails now. Um, these are both both guitar players. Uh, both of them, they're about maybe about the same age, and they both love to party. First jazz guitarist of note, and he reshaped the landscape of jazz guitar, Kurt Rosenwinkel. Or a man who reshaped uh, the trajectory of popular music, or at least had a big influence on it, Kurt Cobain. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard choice. That is a hard choice. They do kind of come from different worlds to a certain extent. But maybe they're more similar than we think. Mm. Well, I'm going to go with, uh, in terms of who's who's affected my um, personal life musical trajectory more uh i'm gonna go with kurt rosenwinkel but uh no disrespect to kurt cobain all right and kurt his legacy okay we're going even further down the rabbit hole here this is the last question oh, we're going a, uh, we're going a quad on this one no this is a, only number three uh great arranger known for his work with strings ralph burns or mr burns a fictional character known for his uh <laughs> greed Jeez. and uh 
He's most well known for his work on The Simpsons, definitely. Yeah. Yes, he's working The Simpsons. No, it's not very good. Sorry. All right, I don't do impressions. Release the hounds. No, it's not that very good. That was pretty good. Eh, it's all right. I don't watch The Simpsons as often as I should, or often as I did. Uh, <laughs> um, in terms of somebody who's infected my life more, probably I'd say Mr. Burns. I think he's hysterical. I mean, who else hung out with Calvin Coolidge? All right. <laughs> and is still around. We'll go with Mr. Burns. Yes. Uh, so once again, we are in studio with uh, the man, the myth, the legend, composer, <laughs> yeah, pianist, right. drumist. Um, actually, uh, our friend Kamau Kenyatta called Bob uh, San Diego Treasure, but we're here with Bob Weller. Good morning. Morning. As some of our listeners might know, you are a very accomplished pianist, but also a drummer. You're equally capable on, on both. Well, thanks. Yeah, and uh, nice of you to say. Yeah, no, I've 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 got I've gotten to play with you as a drummer, and it's fantastic. Um, we were just talking earlier. We actually did a recording session about a week ago. Yeah. Um, so this first tune that we're going to play, it's uh, you're featured on drums on this one. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, this is "Look What I've Done" from uh, your record, Mister DL, which goes back to 1985. Tell us a little bit about this track before we hear it. Well. Um the uh the tune itself is sort of uh it's sort of a parody of like um uh a blues uh it has like a sort of that uh one to um like tonic to to subdominant thing going back and forth one to four like the you know the guitar and then over the top of that is a you know a melody in fourths so a real abstract melody over this kind of simple accompaniment and it was um Phil Markowitz on piano and uh, Walt Weiskopf on uh, on saxophone and uh, it was Bill Miller on bass and uh, Mark Slifstein on guitar. All uh, New York guys it was done in 1985. It's sort of like um, a parody of uh, you know of a lot of the tunes that we end up playing, you know, <laughs> rock tunes that sort of thing. Yeah. So it starts out like normal, like it'll be some rock tune and then this melody in fourths comes in which phil played in octaves the first time he looked at it he just sight read it wow yeah it was pretty scary working with phil yeah (laughs) all right here it comes one from the archives this tune's called look what i've done featuring our guest bob weller on the drums Thank you. 
And we're back. That was Look What I've Done from our guest Bob Weller. And that was just a killer track featuring Walt Weisskopf on the tenor saxophone and Mark Slifstein on electric guitar. And, of course, Bob was on drums. Man, it feels good to hear some Walt Weisskopf on the podcast. Yeah, he was he was young then, really young. He just, in fact, he had just started playing tenor. He oh, was, my gosh. Yeah, he was uh, playing alto before that, that when was... I first met him, when we moved to New York in 1980. He was playing alto, not tenor. And huh. it was after that that he... Uh, he started playing tenor because he got asked to go out with Buddy Rich. Huh. Hmm. So he he started playing tenor after that, and that's what he's done pretty much ever since. Sounds fantastic. sounds like he has a pretty good handle on it. Oh yeah, yeah. oh he did. <laughs> and it, but he was originally an alto player. Wow. Yeah. We, we were talking on the break. It definitely sounds like there's a there's some sort of effect, like a phaser effect on his on his uh, throwing yeah. on, on after the fact. But boy, when he comes in, wow, that's yeah. just really fierce. That first note is uh, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was uh, it was a fun session. We did it at uh, I think the name of the studio was Daily Planet, which was in New York on Thirty hmm. Second Street. I, I remember. Was Clark Kent your engineer? Yeah, it was Clark Kent was the engineer. <laughs> it was we did it live to two track, so it was uh, not a uh, multi track recording. Hmm. So we had to do like four takes of that tune. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. Well, your um, your descriptor of it was perfect. Yeah, that that shuffle, that rock and roll shuffle feel yeah. comes in. It's very misleading. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, you know, lulls you into a yeah. false sense of security. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that melody it. comes it's in. A, it's the a good old, sort of a down home tune coming up. You know, it's like, oh wow, yeah. this is gonna be good. Whoa, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that stuff comes from. I guess it's just, I, I guess it's just from the some of the stuff that you end up doing that's so ridiculous, you know, and. It just kind of sticks in your craw to have to play that stuff sometimes over and over again, and so I wanted to do something different with that. You know? Yeah, throw throw it back in their faces a yeah, little bit. Yeah. So this was recorded uh, after you moved to New York. When did you move to New York City? Uh, about 1980. Nice, because you were out. Uh, you were out here before that, right? Did right. You... I was in L.A. I went to uh, school at uh, Cal State Northridge. I graduated in '79, uh, and then uh, moved to New York uh, after that. 80 or 81. Did you pres- uh, move out there to pursue a career in music? Or? Yeah, I I was, uh, I was wanted to move out there because all the guys that I really liked were living in New York. Uh, Mike Brecker, Mike Stern, all those guys were in New York. And uh, that's kind of where I wanted to be. And I wanted to be able to listen to them more than anything. And um, yeah, I, liked, I also liked Mel Lewis a lot. Mm. I wanted to check him out. Yeah. And I did for many years. I went down to Monday night band at the vanguard i went down there for years every monday night to check mel out so many people these days don't know about mel lewis or they think of him just in context of big band but as a musician i thought he was so astounding and he was so flexible i mean yeah his ears were like giant yeah it was really i mean he played very simply you know and and i remember i would go down there every week for years like i said and and I kept I wondering why do I keep going back to hear him every week, you know? And it was because of the feel. The feel was so incredible, especially when he had Richard Davis there. Mm. And uh, I mean, he had all yeah. the bass players were great, but for a while it was Richard Davis, and then uh, Phil Markowitz played piano, and uh, of course everybody on the band was great, you know. But the time was unbelievable on that band. Wow. It's just nothing like it. And so. I just kept going back every week uh, to hear that, you know, and I didn't even realize at first what I was going back to hear. I right. thought, you know, why is this so good? But it turned out it was just a great feel that he had, and That's I think incredible. I sort of grafted it, tried to graft it on myself. 
Well, Richard Davis is, he's one of my favorite bass players of all time. And yeah, he's but... kind of, can be slippery with the time. Um, he can play very loose, but somehow the the pulse and everything is, like you said, it's it's just a great, great time. And the feel is amazing. Yeah, well, so. it really, it really lifted off, you know. I mean, it really had like life when they, uh, when they played time. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, what was, when you came to New York in the early 80s, I mean, now I describe New York like the East Village to some of my friends. It's kind of like Disneyland now. But uh, what was it like in the in the in the early eighties? This is I heard, way, I before, heard uh, way before clean, you know Giuliani cleaned it all up. One piano yeah. player. I was watching this before. old clinic uh, on YouTube with a famous piano player, and one of the students. This is an old tape, and then one of the students asked, "What's your advice to somebody who wants to move to New York to play jazz?" And he said, "He said." Buy a gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was at the peak of uh, of danger back then. I remember, uh, you know, for a while I drove a cab there uh, for the first uh, year and a half or two years, and the um, the death rate for cab drivers was fifteen or twenty cab drivers per year were killed driving cabs in New York, and as opposed to I think it was one or two police officers, and so it was. I think it was at the peak of danger. And we were there from about 80 to 88, and I don't think it really got better until after we left. But it was dangerous. It really wow. was. And you had to be very careful. I got mugged there uh, driving a cab at gunpoint. Oh, geez. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, did you did you stay? Did you, were you a cab driver your whole time there? Well, I was a cab driver for about two years, and then I became a limo driver uh, after that. And I drove limo for about five years. Oh, wow. And that was my day job while I was there. And then at night, practically every night, I would be out doing something, you know, uh, listening to people play or playing or something like that. What, what were some of the memorable gigs that you got to actually play when you were out there? Um, I played a lot of stuff with, with guys from uh, Buddy Rich's band and from uh, all the big bands, which were still touring back then in the 80s and i knew a, a load of those guys and i played stuff with them i also played um four nights with uh, toshiko akiyoshi lou tabakan and um a number of other people you know who were in new york at the time and uh you know it was it was really uh, a great experience to to be there and then i heard a lot of people uh really good people uh while i was there yeah you mentioned like you got to play four nights that's I feel like that concept of getting a residency for multiple nights has gone the way of the dodo in terms of now, nowadays. It's uh, I was talking a few days ago to a great local pianist uh, from, who lives here now, but he's from Philly, Jason Chatiel, mm -hmm. and he mentioned how clubs will have, you can only get one gig there every six months, and it's not because you don't play good, it's just because uh, there's so many guys waiting in line. So yeah. once yeah. you do a gig, you're not back for six months, and the concept of having like a few days or a week residency stay at a place that's uh sadly doesn't happen that often i don't think anymore no i don't think so and even the club that it was in is not there anymore it was a place on bleecker street called uh, folk city mm. and it's not there uh, anymore and uh yeah i think it's that way everywhere like when i first started um you know playing uh music for a living it would be about 1974 or so or 75 and uh there were a lot of multi-night gigs out mm. there and I figured that I was just going to be doing that, you know, uh, from then on, because uh, it never occurred to me that that might be just an era and that it would be over, which it was very quickly. And so now it's it's more like what you're saying. And, and as far as I can tell from people I talk to, it's like that everywhere. 
Yeah. You know, just suspect maybe especially so in New York, just because it's uh, it's still even despite the sort of oversaturation possibly of, you know, musicians, all of whom are, you know, can be insanely good. Oh, yeah. But but there's just there's there's just so many of them. Right. There's just not enough to go around. There's less work now and and more musicians, which is not a great combo. Yeah. Even even though the the musical side of it is unbelievable. The only multi-night gigs left are really our shows mm. like broadway shows or uh stuff that goes on the road you know other than that i think um, most clubs are just hiring different bands and even more than one band per night like two or three bands per night wow that's We're, been the trend yeah. you know were you playing mostly drums or piano out there back then i was playing almost entirely drums very mm. little piano towards the end i started to play a little bit of piano but uh, it wasn't really till I got out here that I started playing more piano. I had time to work on it when I first got here. First couple of years I was here, and so um, I started working on it and sitting in, and then slowly started getting hired. But it was only after I'd been out here that I did that. And uh, so when did you move back out to California, or did uh, you move specifically to San Diego, or? Well, we um, we were living in New York, uh, and this would be 1988, and we moved out here in the in June of that year. Uh, mainly because um, Ellen's parents are out here. My wife, Ellen, her parents are out here, and they offered to help us with the kids. The kids were uh, four years old and one year old at the time. Mm. And so we were having a problem making ends meet with uh, with daycare for two kids, you know. So that's the main reason we came out here. And we've been here ever since, been 29 years. Wow. Yeah. With um, regards to more about your family, because I, I know you, you come from a... You come from a musical family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely know your brother, Dick, who's a great drummer. Right. Lives up in L.A. And I think you got to record a lot when you moved out here. We together. did. We uh, recorded uh, two or three records um, back in the 90s. And, um, yeah, in fact, I was we were talking about this the other day. Right now, Dick teaches at uh, Cal State Northridge. Oh, well, you went. Right. Yeah. And, and huh. I teach up at Palomar. And Charlie's teaching at San Diego State. Charlie, your, your son. My son. And, and he also teaches at um, Cal State San Marcos. So you're kind of running into a weller. If you're going to study drums, you're running into a weller <laughs> if you're in California. Your, your, yeah. your wife, Ellen, is also at, at Palomar, I believe. Yeah, she's yeah. a full-time professor up there at uh, Palomar uh, conducting the orchestra and teaching. Wow. Yeah. I would not hesitate to use the word dynasty in this one particular case. <laughs> Just in, in nice one, you to say. <laughs> it, it is. It is. I think in this one case, it's it's befitting. Um, well, I know Ed and I have gotten to play a lot with your sons, with Danny Weller, an yeah. incredible bass player who who played on one of my records, and then I think Charlie, I've worked with on two or three or maybe four different records at this point. Mm-hmm. I've but, worked. Um, with, I've worked with them on a few too, and we play together quite often in a few yeah. ensembles. But yeah. for you, like when you were a kid in your upbringing, how, how was music a factor? Or when did you know that you wanted to become a professional musician? I told my uh, my drum teacher when I was uh, about 13 or 14 that I was going to be a professional musician. I want to be a professional drummer. And he told me right away, he said, well, you have to start practicing four hours a day right now. Yeah. You know? And so I, I sort of took it to heart. And I, I practiced really hard until I was about... 22 or 23 I, you know pretty much all the time i practiced and uh and then it sort of slacked off after that as the realities of having to make a living uh hit me you know so yeah i think it was sort of the same for me in college yeah. i i practiced a lot and then i kind of started to 
you know, gig a lot, so I play quite often, and so my, yeah. my chops can kind of stay, you know, float a little bit, but it's hard to find time to actually shed new things. That seems to be the experience of a lot of people. They uh, they sort You sort of have a window from, like, when you're 18 to 22 where you can really concentrate on it and focus on it, practice, you know, whatever, six hours a day. And then uh, after that, I guess um, the realities uh, of life take over and other things start to intrude, you know. I hear that st- same story all the time. So going back to your, your, your family, uh, were your parents musical as well? My uh, parents were both good uh, amateur singers. Um, my mother was a uh, piano player, uh, just not a, uh, not a professional, but she was a good. I had a, uh, um, a grandfather who was a very good amateur musician and uh, a grandmother who uh, was a very good classical piano player. I also had another grandmother uh, who was a drummer, believe it or not. Uh, my A cousin of mine uncovered an article about her where she was playing a gig. This is up in the St. Lawrence River up in northern New York State. She was playing a gig in 1912 at wow. a bar. Yeah, she wow. played drums. It was that... a little article in the paper. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, she would have been Incredible. about 16 or 17 then. Uh, this, is a, this is a sidebar, but a few days ago I played a... I played a birthday party for a 105-year-old. Oh, phew. And he's the oldest living graduate of San Diego State. No kidding. Yeah, class of 1934. <laughs> and he used to play in like a little little band when he was in high school. And he would uh, talk about driving his Model T with no roof to play roadhouses on the way to Escondido. Wow. About before the interstate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dirt road. Anyway, I just during Prohibition, too. Yeah. So sorry, that just reminded me of that. I just—it's amazing to have a conversation with somebody from that era. I know, yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned um, later in New York, you were playing more piano when you got to San Diego, and we've got a record here that features you. Uh, this is called "Anne Lovely." Mm-hmm. When did you record this? This is um, oh, I forget. <laughs> Let's see. It says nineteen. Oh, two thousand six. Okay, two thousand six. <laughs> wow, comparatively recent. Yeah, yeah. We recorded that. Uh, up in the Oceanside at the old Proxy Studio, the oh, big yeah. studio. I remember, remember when they when they went under, they were selling all their equipment. I, I bought the piano that this was recorded on. I have oh. it at my house. <laughs> so, oh no way! Yeah. Oh, that's a great. Yeah, I played that. It's a, a really good one. piano. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we recorded that. Danny Campbell and Dave Marr and I. And uh, this track that you're playing is the one that the radio station liked, that KSDS liked. And I always thought it was a little uh, sloppy. It was kind of a little bit too wild and sloppy sounding to me so i didn't recommend that one as uh, you know to people but that's the one they liked (laughs) that's the one they liked so i figured um play that today yeah so who what are some of your influences on on piano when you first started gigging on piano and well the people that i studied with in new york um phil markowitz uh mark copeland uh lee musiker I studied with, uh, I never studied with McCoy, but he was a big influence, McCoy Tyner. Uh, Richie Byrack yeah, wow. and, um, was a big influence. And, uh, and a lot of other great New York players, uh, New York piano players, you know, that are known and unknown. I mean, there were so many good people back there. It's hard to even remember how many, uh, you know, all the names. But it's the same as now if you go back there. There's a million guys that are fantastic you've never heard of. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I studied with uh, with Phil and later with Mark Copeland, so they were a big influence. 
Well, let's get into this track. Again, this is called Dave's Tune. It's from Bob's record, And Lovely. And this is Bob Weller on piano, Dave Marr on upright bass, and Danny Campbell on drums. You're listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast.
Hi, I'm Rob Thorson, and here is your jazz forecast for December 17th through the 24th. Monday, December 18th, guitarist Louis Valenzuela hosts his regular Monday night jam session at Rosie O'Grady's in Normal Heights from 9 p.m. to midnight. No cover, 21 and up. Tuesday, December 19th, trumpeter Brad Steinway presents a big band Christmas at Dizzy's at 8 p.m. Cover is $20, $15 for students. Wednesday, December 20th, trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos hosts his regular Wednesday night jam session at Panama 66. Listen to the best jazz San Diego has to offer right in the middle of Balboa Park. Music from 8.30 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. Come early to see the Young Lions play from 6 to 8 p.m., featuring up-and-coming musicians from around the city. Thursday, December 21st, saxophonist Robert Dove brings his trio to Panama 66 for his Every Other Week residency from 6 to 8 p.m. All ages welcome. The Whitney Shea Trio plays downtown at the U.S. Grant Hotel from 8 to 11 p.m. Just across town, there's a new late-night jam session at the Ken Club, hosted by twin tenor saxophonist Robert Dove and Ian Buss. Music from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. $5 cover, but musicians get in free. You must be 21 or older. Friday, December 22nd. Saxophonist Charlie Arbelez brings his quartet to the Handlery Hotel in Hotel Circle from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. There's no cover and parking validations are available. This Friday happy hour is a regular series put on by Holly Hoffman, so stay tuned for more great jazz. Vocalist Kathleen Dugas and pianist Irving Flores play at Maritalia Restaurante in Coronado from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. The Gabriel Sunday Trio plays at Panama 66 from 7 to 9 p.m., featuring Ed Kornhauser on organ and Charlie Weller on drums. Also on Friday, the Gaslamp Quarter Jazz Orchestra, featuring vocalist Leonard Patton, play holiday jazz at Off-Broadway Live in Santee at 7 p.m. Tickets available online at offbroadwaylive.com. Pianist Chase Morin leads a trio featuring bassist Justin Grinnell and drummer Julian Cantelm at Dizzy's at 8 p.m. $15 cover or $10 for students. Gilbert Castellanos presents Jazz at the Westgate, an intimate series in the Plaza Bar at the beautiful Westgate Hotel, featuring vocalist Melissa Morgan, pianist Sam Hirsch, and bassist Henry the Skipper Franklin. Music from 8 to 11 p.m. Saturday, December 23rd. The Gaslamp Quarter Jazz Orchestra plays a late afternoon holiday concert at the First Presbyterian Church of El Cajon at 4 p.m. Admission is free. Doors at 3.30 p.m. Irving Flores plays solo piano at Maritalia Restaurante in Coronado from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. The Whitney Shea Quartet plays at the La Valencia Hotel in La Jolla from 6 to 10 p.m. Guitarist Michael Borowski brings his trio to Panama 66 from 7 to 9 p.m. Over at Dizzy's, New York City trombone specialist Matt Hall presents Holiday Bebop with Charlie Arbelez on alto saxophone, Danny Green on piano, Rob Thorson on bass, and Matthew Smith on drums. Music kicks off at 8 p.m. Cover charge is $20 with $15 price for students. Vocalist Allison Adams Tucker brings some holiday cheer to the Westgate Hotel with pianist Chase Morin and bassist Harley Magsino from 8 to 11 p.m. Sunday, December 24th. Tim Felton and crew host their monthly funk jam session at Panama 66 in Balboa Park from 6 to 8 p.m. 
Check out Sundays in the Park on Facebook to see a song list and sign up. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everyone. This is San Diego Sessions, your inside perspective on the SD jazz scene. Subscribe on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. And we're back on San Diego Sessions, coming to you from Dirty Boulevard Recording Company in an undisclosed location near downtown San Diego. <laughs> Not in a hollowed-out volcano base. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're here with our guest, Bob Weller, of course. And we heard uh, from And Lovely, that was Dave's tune, written for Dave Marr. And then, with the jazz calendar, we just heard a tune from the record Fire Martians, and that is Fire Martians. And that's from the Weller Brothers record, uh, which also had... Uh, featured Bob Weller and Dick Weller, but um, tell us the story behind that tune, Fire Fire Martians. Well, uh, at the time, Danny was in uh, kindergarten, mm-hmm. and he came home one day and he said, "Hey, Dad, uh, the the Fire Martian was at school today." <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I eventually figured out he meant the Fire Marshal. Right. You know, gave a talk or a demonstration, or I figured, "Ooh, Fire Martian!" You know, that sounds a awesome. Good, good song title, and so uh, I wrote this tune, uh, you know, for. Fire Martians. It sounds like something out of a Ray right. Bradbury novel. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the chapters from the Martian Chronicles, I think. The Fire yeah, right. Martians. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I have young kids right now, and I notice, I notice all the young preschool age kids say "fighter fighters" instead of "firefighters." Oh yeah, they, they uh-huh. just say "fighter yeah. fighter." Right. I'm a fighter fighter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like I really, fighter, f- I fight fights. Really fight hard. hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about that time for our our weekly segment called the San Diego 7, featuring our very own Sir Edward Theodore Kornhauser. Right. These are seven uh, questions that we'd like you to answer from the top of your head and the bottom of your heart. Okay. Now, I'm a little bit apprehensive here because you would not disclose to me in advance what these questions yes. were. You're being very secretive Plenty. about it, so it makes me wonder. Close to the vest. No, uh, no, no. There's not, nothing, nothing to catch you off guard, okay. nothing like that. This isn't... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to... Well, plus I hadn't written them yet, to be quite honest oh, with you. Yeah. <laughs> making it up. All right. I, I wrote them last night. Um, number one, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, I had a, uh egg sandwich made by my wife. Oh, good egg sandwich. Is yeah. good way to start the day. That was easy so see, far. See? Yeah, it was not, pretty. That yeah, was not yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, to lull you into a false sense That's of right. Yeah, yeah. That's, I knew that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, number two, what was the first concert or musical experience you can remember attending? I remember one that was very influential outside of school concerts was a concert I went and heard uh, a clinic by Joe Morello, the drummer. Oh, yeah. When I was about, uh, I was about 14, 13 or 14 years old. Huh. That really stuck in my mind. And then later after that, I saw Buddy Rich play. That was another one that really stuck with me. Yeah, those would definitely those would definitely stay with you. Yeah. Too. Uh, number three, uh, when you play poker, what's your preferred game? Well, the only game they play now really is Texas Hold'em, hmm. and two varieties of it: limit and no limit. And uh, I play both, you know, limit and no limit. Also tournaments, which are a lot of fun. And uh, I don't play as much as I used to because it's. Uh, in the 17 years that I've been playing, the the skill level has gotten much better mm. than it was when I started. In 2000, it was like uh, 
I mean, you could really do fantastic just by playing a good game, a good solid game. But now it's uh, quite a bit more difficult. So I, I only play live and only a few times a year. Hmm. My my grandfather used to do that a lot. Um, used to go to Vegas and he was very good. He was a mathematician and just sort of right. played the numbers really well. Um, I still remember the time he flew to Vegas, but he drove home in a car he had bought with the, his money. <laughs> they wanted it was just a Honda. It wasn't a you know a flashy car, but they yeah. had that my, my that was my grandparents' car my entire childhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Number four, what's a true gig from hell that you've played? <laughs> true gig from hell. Um, because I think you, you, he's going to have a lot of options on. Yeah, this I've, one. I've I've heard several. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I suppose there have been a couple gigs. I remember uh, one time I uh, I brought the wrong PA to a gig. I was playing piano with Joe Murillo, you know, and uh, Joe he, Murillo, the saxophone, the saxophone player, yeah. right? Local saxophone and, player. And I I brought the wrong PA, just a, you know, an innocent mistake, you know. And he got so bent out of shape that he actually kicked me off the gig. <laughs> oh, jeez. He, he said, "Don't worry about it." He said, "I don't like the way that sounds," and and uh, you know. You can just pack up and go home. <laughs> so they played trio. Oh, that was man. kind of a bad job. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, that's that's harsh. Yeah, I never got paid for that, and and uh, it was not a it was not a cut against my playing or anything. He just didn't like. Uh, and then we worked together after that a lot anyway. So it was no big deal. But yeah, I remember that. I'm trying to think. I mean, there's so many. You know, I'd like to ask you the same question. You know, oh, boy, come there's, on, Ed. You there's been a lot. On. Yeah, it's too early for me to think of one quite yet. Uh, well, how about those gigs where where you're playing a bar mitzvah, and uh, the grandma comes up and starts uh, complaining about everything while you're playing? Those are those are bad. Oof! I've had people yeah. complain while I'm playing. I can't talk and play. All I could do was do little monosyllabic responses. Yeah. Well, no, I, I've got okay. one for. Uh, yeah, since it is the beginning of Hanukkah, uh, I, I was playing a, a Jewish wedding with Danny Green and Dylan Savage, and I forget who else, but. And it was electric bass, electric guitar, uh-huh. you know, a vocalist. And we're outside, we're playing the hora, they're doing the dance, and it's <laughs> getting right to the intense part of the dance. And then, bam, the power goes out, oh, because they had all the photographer and li- all the lighting plugged in on our circuit. Yeah. And so now it's just me on saxophone and Dylan <laughs> on drums, and we're playing. We have to keep playing so they keep dancing. Yeah, sure. Uh, we have to, I mean, three or four minutes we're going. It was like the longest three or four minutes of my life yeah. before they got the power back on. Oh, boy. I used to work what? with a band uh, in the old days that we used to do bar mitzvahs and stuff, and he would do one and one whole hour of horror. So you'd be playing for an hour straight of, of that the same horror. tempo, you know. That was pretty grueling. Was that the rabbinical school dropouts? No, rabbinical school dropouts was later, and that, they were always pretty fun to work with. Yeah, I, I was listening to them a little last night. I found yeah. some stuff online. They're really cool, like a really uh, modern jazz klezmer ensemble. Yeah, yeah, they were they were really interesting, and, and uh, they used to do this really funny thing where he would. The, the other guy, uh, John, the uh, older brother, he would uh, he trained to sing in a strict cantorial style, you know, which is very straight sounding and, uh, you know, with a very straight kind of like operatic voice. And he used to sing pop tunes and uh, like we would do like Ring of Fire, you know, by Johnny Cash. <laughs> and he would do it in that strict cantorial style. Oh boy. And I'd be laughing so hard I couldn't play, you know. <laughs> He really, he had it down. He was a very good singer. I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, yeah, he used to do that. Uh, he'd sing like the most appropriate, inappropriate uh, style for the tune possible. I remember I was working with a singer out here once who did a, 
I don't. I couldn't even duplicate it how he did it, but he sang that that old tune just in time. Yeah, in the style of John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I sure. was dying. I was crying. I was so funny. You know who else used to do that? We were talking about earlier is Dave Curtis. Oh wow! He used to sing, do fake singer stuff like that, where he would sort of mumble and sound like he was singing, but it was not. It was really funny. <laughs> uh, we're we're, get, we're getting slightly off topic yeah, here, although okay. I'm enjoying it. All right, All right. <laughs> um, back to the seven. Uh, we're on number five. This is these are going to five and six are going to be this versus that, kind of like how okay. we did at the top. Uh, this versus that, Ring World or Lord of the Rings. Oh, geez, Ring World. That's that's funny. You know, I have read that whole thing, Larry Niven. Uh, which do I like better? Well, it could be. It's I, I'm. Painting you in a corner because I, I I I think you've read both. I've read both. I like them both actually. Yeah. I don't think I could put. Uh, I don't think I could pick. Yeah. It's different things. They're you very know? different. Too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, Ian gets me with this every week. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like Lord of the Rings a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think you wrote a, a piece. I did. Yeah. From yeah. that. I, I wrote a. It was one of the first things I did for small orchestra, kind of like a studio orchestra. That was when I was like twenty years old. Wow. Yeah. All right, number nine. Number nine, which is actually uh, an upside-down six, uh, which is the actual question we're on. <laughs> yeah. This is another this versus that. Alien or aliens? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think maybe the original one. Yeah. Alien. But mine, too. I, it was I, scary. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It's just frightening, and, and it's, a, it's a way different feel. The other one's more of like an action movie. Well, so, and, and also you knew what was coming. You know, in that first one, he didn't know what was coming. Yeah, the alien so. was really weird. It yeah. was sort of a slow build. You don't even really see the whole thing for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's more psychological. Yeah. But yeah, Alien yeah. is one I can go back and watch over and over. It's alien. still scary. Even though yeah, you know great. what's coming, it still scares the hell out of you. All right, big number seven. Big number seven. This is our old standby. This is number seven that we yeah. ask every Uh-oh. week. All right. And I'm not going to interpret it for you. Bacon? <laughs> <laughs> I have to be careful how I answer this because my wife's a vegan, you know. Oh. So, yeah, I still like bacon, but I don't eat it much right. anymore. Fair play. Well, and at the Weller house, there was a, we don't a, another the member house. of the family <laughs> that used to live in the backyard. Oh, yeah, right. four yeah. legs. Yeah, the uh, Myron. The, Ma- Myron? The, yeah, Myron. He like was Myron a, Walden? Yeah. Yeah, he was a uh, Vietnamese uh, potbelly pig. Oh, they're so smart. Yeah, really yeah. smart. Yeah. yeah. But Are, they, they don't stay small. That's the thing they don't yeah. tell you when you get one. They're like, you know, little tiny six-inch things when you get one, and it in about three months, they weigh a hundred pounds, and they're, you know, they're huge. So I mean, he didn't get as big as a, an American pig, but uh, he got pretty big. Hmm. Yeah, he used to winter over, at our house because uh, my sister-in-law would uh, leave town, and so he would spend uh, a few months with us. And that was the San Diego Seven with our very own Ed Kornhauser and Bob Weller. Uh, so. Bob, has you have a new recording that you just did that was featured on Percussive Profiles on our favorite radio station, 88.3 KSDS, KSDS San Diego. Um, but you got to play that on, on Barry Farrar's show. And we were talking before your session that you, you didn't have anything recently with you playing drums. So this new recording, which we're, we're going to hear, um, is a return to you as a band leader from the drum kit. Well, I had a lot of stuff that was uh, live, you know, but it was not studio quality. 
And so I kind of wanted to get something that was studio quality. And so we just went in and uh, recorded uh, with no rehearsal. We just kind of went in and read it down. Wow. And uh, yeah, because we scheduled a rehearsal, but everybody was out of town. So we, <laughs> we didn't have a chance. So we just do it on Skype. <laughs> we could. Yeah, we didn't do it on Skype. So we just went in and did it uh, with no rehearsal. And, um, you know, just thought I would have something to play on KSDS and here. Yeah. You know, I didn't have anything on drums. So. And this, this features uh, some of my favorite players in town. Rob Whitlock on keys. Yeah. Um, Trip Sprague on tenor saxophone. And I forget who else is on this. Uh, Dave Marr and Gabe Wolf. Oh, yeah. Gabe yeah. Marr on, on trumpet. bass. And, yeah. and Gabe Wolf on trumpet, yeah. And this the track we're going to hear is called Almost Blue. Um, can you give us an intro to the track and tell us something about that composition? Uh, well, it, the, uh, the title... Um, just came to me. I, I wasn't thinking about, uh, you know, just kind of like all titles, it just comes into your head, you know, without you thinking about it. And I was reading a book at the time on Chet Baker. And then a couple pages later in the book, I read that he had a tune called Almost Blue, but I didn't know about it when I named the tune. And I guess you mentioned somebody else has one. Well, no, that's the same song. The Chet Baker recording of Almost Blue is him covering Elvis Costello. Oh, no kidding. I the didn't tune know that. is Almost Blue. It's by Elvis Costello. It's off Imperial Bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elvis had some relationship with Chet Baker. Um, he's always been a big, Elvis has always been into jazz, mm-hmm. even though he didn't play it and record it. Now he's sort of doing some stuff. Like I know he did that, that thing with Alan Toussaint. Mm-hmm. Where they did all New Orleans stuff. But uh, uh, Chet Baker was touring England at some point when he was recording. I can't remember what record, but it's that tune of Elvis's called Shipbuilding. Mm-hmm. And so he got Chet to come in and play the trumpet solo on it. Mm-hmm. So there's a prominent trumpet solo. And they must have had some sort of relationship. And Chet recorded, at least once, recorded Elvis's tune, Almost Blue, at this Live in Japan record, which is a, or Live in Tokyo. It's a really cool mm-hmm. arrangement. I have it charted out. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I really like that song. Yeah. But this mm-hmm. is a very different almost blue. <laughs> oh, totally different, but yeah. I had no idea that uh, that he had that. Uh, I only read about it a few days after I came up with the title, so. Great minds and all that. Oh, yeah. Are these, so these are all are these all new compositions for this? Yeah, they're all new compositions. I, I uh, originally thought, well, I'll just do some standards for the radio broadcast, and I figured, well, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather just kind of write some stuff. So I wrote them all in uh, in one night, uh, just sat down and wrote them all, uh, uh, four out of five, and then the other one I wrote the next day. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Jeez. That is a it, prolific evening. Yeah, it's just um, I was happy to be able to still do it, you know, sort of on demand like that. I'm lucky I if I get four or five tunes a year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just sat down and and it was uh, took a couple hours, and then I had to edit them and everything, go over them. But uh, yeah, so that's what we did. Wow, wow, excellent! So this will be an, one of the exclusive uh, early listens of of Bob's new recording. Uh, but once again. Bob, I want to thank you so much for coming in. And thank you for having me. Letting yeah. us grill you with yeah. these tough questions. And uh, <laughs> ba- that bacon question threw oh, yeah. me, i got to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> when, um, when will this record uh, be out, do you think? When do people? I'm not sure, and I'm, I'm not even sure what medium it's going to be in, You know, mm-hmm. whether we're going to make a CD or whatever, because uh, I just have to check. Right. And um, but if if uh, whatever will happen with it, you could probably find more on your website. On the website wellermusic.com, it'll uh, for sure it will be there, and probably on YouTube also. All right. Well, thanks again. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have.
Bob Weller of the Weller Dynasty in the studio. <laughs> and here we go with Almost Blue. Listening to the San Diego Sessions podcast brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Please subscribe now on iTunes or listen online at dirtyboulevardrecording.com. Theme music composed by Ed Kornhauser, performed by Ed with Grant Fisher guitar, Harley Magzino bass, Ian Tordella saxophone, and Charles Weller on drums. If you'd like to be a guest on San Diego Sessions, please contact us. All musical selections are used by permission of the artist. 
San Diego Sessions is engineered and produced by Ian Tordella at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. <laughs>